Hi, and welcome to Filmmaker's Compass Podcast, show where we talk about movies and, well, more movies. I'm D-Man, joined by CP. Pretty psyched for this week's episode for one major reason, and that is CP has now seen a movie that I haven't seen, and he told me that he is going to spoil something on air. <laughs> I'm excited for that. We're going to get into that in a second. But first, I'll throw it over to you. How are you doing, CP? I am so excited. I think this episode is going to be a lot of fun, mostly because we're just going to nerd out for a very, very long time, I'm expecting. For those of you listening, prepare for lots of nerd fandom. Well, before we jump into our topics today, we got to do our shout outs. So first up, I actually want to give a big shout out to my sister who started a new job this week. And I just wanted to say congratulations. Good luck at the new job. I hope it is uh, awesome and everything you were looking for in a job. I'm just going to say you should probably tell all your new co-workers to listen to the best filmmaking podcast you've ever heard. Yes, absolutely. Next up on my shout outs is a shout out to Lindsay Baker. She said, not trying to start anything, but, which is exactly what you would say when you're trying to start something. <laughs> I have officially finished Lord of the Rings extended cuts. Well done. You know, that gets an official two thumbs up from D-Man. I love it. I hope you loved it. And maybe you did. I'll read the rest of the comment here and find out. Crispy has not watched watched a single Harry Potter movie since we made the deal, even after our late great Robbie Coltrane, which RIP Robbie Coltrane. Damn, I didn't know this. Apparently there is a video with all of the actors who were in the Harry Potter movies and that have died. And it's like an insane number of like a wow. lot. Yeah. So wow. RIP Robbie Coltrane, there was a really touching video he had with it. I think it was a Harry Potter reunion on HBO Max, where he basically said, you know, these movies will outlast me. The magic is that like my kids and kids for generations to come can still enjoy them even when I'm gone. She ended that shout out saying, give him hell, D-Man. So to hell with <laughs> Be gone. Yeah. Wow. Feeling a lot of pressure. Got to watch like a whole crap ton of Harry Potter movies. And clearly I'm not exactly motivated to do that. So uh, I guess I got to get on it now. Figured it was going to take her more than like a week to watch those Lord of the Rings extended cuts. But now I got to uphold my end of the deal. Yeah. I hope you get to it. I actually might start watching Harry Potter just out of jealousy. <laughs> I would like to watch Harry Potter myself. I've been watching Lord of the Rings in conjunction with Rings of Power. You know, might as well get back to uh, some HP and just enjoy Hogwarts, right? Fair enough. My friend Felicia said she watches it every Christmas season as a Christmas movie. So maybe it is time for me to do the same. Get in the spirit, man. Well, I also wanted to ask you while we're doing shout outs, are you being anyone for Halloween this year? Are you dressing up? Well, I went to a Halloween party this past weekend and okay. I dressed up as the God of Thunder. Nice. You actually have the hair for it. I mean, I feel like, obviously, when you grow your hair out, like, you have to do something with a character who has long hair. Yeah, that was kind of my thinking. So I was like, well, it's easy to be Thor. I have a beard. I have a hair. I have a hammer. So I just... Did you say a hair? A hair. <laughs> just just one one long piece of hair. Like, a, like you got a wig. <laughs> I have a question. As, as the God of Thunder, when you took uh, Mjolnir, you had Thor's hammer. Did you have like a replica toy version of Mjolnir or did you like go buy a hammer? <laughs> no, I bought the I bought Mjolnir. Oh, I did okay. not actually go like walk around with like a 25 pound like, 
mini like sledge. Yeah, you show up to a like official Halloween party. You're like, they're like, sir, this is considered a weapon. You're like, I know. Uh, got <laughs> got a thunder here. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. So I actually wanted to give a uh, shout out. I attended a Halloween party as well, and I was Beetlejuice. So if you follow me at Big Kid D Man, you could see me in costume on my personal social media. And let me know what you think if if I nailed it or not. Got to give a big to uh, Terry, Adam, Steph, and Anthony for hosting a wonderful Halloween party. Surprisingly, it rained, which is crazy. It never yeah, rains. It, it actually rained at the party we were at. And uh, the crazy thing was my buddy's band was actually playing at the party and everything was set up for outdoor, but apparently no one thought it would rain made a muck of things. Crazy. Like, I don't know. There's something about rain on Halloween. It kind of felt right. Yeah, like it, it reminded cool. me of uh, like a Midwest outdoor Halloween party. And I loved it. Also, I got to give a big shout out. Name is eluding me. I met this really cool dude at the party and we talked, I swear, for like an hour and a half about comic books, the MCU and Star Wars and Rings of Power and all kinds of things. It was fantastic. Shout out to you and i hope uh if you tune into the show i'd love to have you on as the guest i feel and... like you're, i feel like you're gonna have this guy take my job man <laughs> he, he would be a good podcast guy I'm, I'm just saying i mean if we ever need a third host uh name is eluding me i i literally got the name the next day and i can't think of it but anyway my apologies but also shout out you were awesome and the conversation was great so i really enjoyed it finally before we move on from shout outs i do got to give a preemptive shout out because this is the final episode of halloween i am attending our annual halloween party hosted by johnny and sue one of our listeners mike soto's mom hosts a halloween party every year and it is absolutely amazing they actually just purchased a new house out in riverside so this is the first halloween party they're hosting at the new house and i can't wait to go i will be beetlejuice again so looking forward to that i'm not one of those people that like buys a different costume for every halloween party i attend i wear the same costume for an entire season do you change it up it depends sometimes you go to a halloween party it has like a theme you know well, that's true like i or went to one that was no someone else has already got your costume so sometimes you have to be you got to be flexible i guess well, I'm looking forward to that party, so I think I'll actually be staying out in Riverside, uh, maybe having a little bit too much potion, if you know what I mean. And <laughs> <laughs> that does it for our shout-outs this week, so I want to just say thank you, everybody, for uh, sending us feedback. Be sure to keep the comments coming. We love hearing from you guys, and, and we love keeping the, you know, the dialogue going on each week's new episode. So on that note, we have to jump in to our first topic this week. I'm going to throw it over to you, CP. You saw a brand new movie and you have some thoughts. Let's hear it. Dude, I did. For all our listeners, if you've been living under a rock and didn't know, a movie featuring Dwayne The Rock Johnson just came out. Black <laughs> well played. Adam. It's been very divisive on the internet and I'm really excited to talk about it. We're just going to get this right out from the get-go. I'm going to drop a bunch of spoilers. So if you are planning to watch the movie and you're like a loser and haven't, then you probably don't want to listen to this podcast because I'm going to totally ruin everything that's amazing about the film by dropping spoilers. So here's the thing. I haven't seen it. So you're about to ruin it for me. Just leave. <laughs> let me talk to the audience and then yeah, right? hop back yeah. on and like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Headphones off. Like we're good to go. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. All right, let's hear it. Before we really get into this, I, the audience may not know this because we haven't had a lot of, well, we really haven't had a lot of grounds to talk about DC films, but D-Man, you know this about me. You know, I'm in fact a huge DC comics fan, much bigger fan than a Marvel fan. DC has, well- for us fans has been really uh, causing a lot of conflict in our lives because 
there's just such such disaster, such a shit show going on over at DC and Warner Brothers and just the colossal clash of egos that has driven their media for the last five or six years. So the point is, we have a new film coming out. The Rock plays Black Adam, who is essentially the villain from the Shazam comic book series. He is the bad version of Shazam. And this film was released to be a darker take on the comic book movies. Now, if you've read the critical... Oh, DC was dark? They're dark again? (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) The critics have hated this film. As of the last time I checked, it's around 40% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a bad movie. Now, when you look at the audience take on the film, it is actually 90%. Oh, that's really high. On Rotten Tomatoes, that's pretty high. This is actually the second highest audience reviewed DC movie after the Snyder Cut Justice League, which has a 94 and this has a 90. Snyder Cut is a 94. That seems high. The point is, the point is... Fans have really loved this, yet critics have really hated it. As a comic book fan, I'm not really sure what the difference is. I don't really know why critics seem to hate it so much and fans seem to love it. It seems like it was created for comic book fans. I know I said this in the post that I did on on our Instagram channel. It very much feels like the Justice League, Justice League Unlimited cartoon series from the early 2000s. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's so really cool. If you like that type of comic book movie, that's what it totally feels feels in line with. Maybe critics don't get the character of who Black Adam is. Maybe the fact that it's just not enough of the Marvel formula, which most critics seem to love. I don't know what it is. Maybe every reviewer in town these days works for the Disney machine as opposed to Warner Bros. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Blows my mind, though, the, the division that this has had on the internet. As of the time of recording this, Warner Brothers was expecting the film to gross about 60 million over the weekend. Okay. Domestically, it's top 70. And and when you consider the international release and the domestic release, it's around 150 million. Wow. Against the 200 million budget. So the film is killing it. Also, another fact that kind of blows my mind, considering that The Rock is, well, The Rock, one of the most bankable stars in Hollywood, Black Adam has been his highest opening weekend ever. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, The Rock has been in a lot of movies now. I mean, I, I still primarily think of him as the people's champion from his WWE day you know that's that'll always be stuck in my head but i mean he really is like a massive movie star he's like arnold the only person you can really can compare him to is arnold in the sense that he's just a guaranteed box office draw what we got to get to is this at the end of the movie the film is great i thought it was tons of fun they bring in the jsa and introduce the characters of dr fate hawkman adam smasher i think that the introduction to black adam is totally true to the character I think for most people who are going to this movie saying, I just want to see The Rock kick ass with superpowers, you'll be very happy because that's what you get. It's kind of tonally in line with the more recent DC films, which try to mix dark over the top action with the quirky humor. So it feels like the tone that DC seems to be wanting to set in their new film. So if you've liked some of the recent movies, namely think Shazam, you're getting more of that. The big thing that has me freaking out, has the internet freaking out is here's the major spoiler the mid-credit scene superman shows up played by henry cavell no way now okay played by henry henry cavell is back back. as super okay oh wow 
And he posted on Instagram Monday morning, his video where he said, hey, I had to hold off. I wanted to wait till everybody saw it on the weekend. I'm back as Superman. I am back. More things to come from DC. So excited to be back doing my favorite. That is awesome. What's crazy about this is a little bit of history of how this happened is obviously The Rock has been pushing for a Black Adam film for a while since about 2014. Uh The Rock has also been the most vocal supporter of Zack Snyder and the Snyder verse Snyder cut version of the Justice League out of really any mainstream star in Hollywood. Okay. Production started as soon as the merger was complete between Warner Brothers and Discovery. The Rock went over everybody's head, mostly Hameda and Emmerich, the two major people within the Warner Brothers machine who were opposed to Zack Snyder's version of the Justice League. He went right over them to the new head of Discovery Warner Brothers and said, hey, we need to bring Henry Cavell back. We need him to be Superman. And they said, you know what, Dwayne, whatever you want to do, let's do it. He is the sole reason why Superman is back with the franchise. Okay, cool. We haven't seen a lot coming out of DC. Obviously, there's been the major restructuring. Everything has been pushing Black Adam, which it paid off. It's ma- it's making its money back. I assume everything going forward is going to be juggling this Superman, Black Adam, where are things going as we're well, building. I'd love to see that battle for sure. Shazam 2, which comes out in about three months. And then after Shazam 2, we have the Flashpoint movie coming out a few months later. I don't think we're getting at anything definitive about a Man of Steel 2, about a Justice League 2, until after Flashpoint. Well, the problem is Ezra Miller. Is DC, is Warner Brothers going to go through with Flashpoint? I mean, obviously, the premise of that itself lends to the concept that hypothetically you could replace that actor with someone else. Yeah. I mean, that may actually be in their best interests if assuming they're going to move on from him. Up to this point, my understanding is they haven't made any major announcements regarding Flashpoint or Ezra Miller. Who knows? I think they will. Right now, everything is going to be shifting to Zachary Levi, Shazam 2. It seems to be that the, the the vision for DC Cinematic Universe going forward is focusing on kind of one project at a time. Okay. Making sure there's no missteps. As I said, fans are happy with this movie. As a big fan, There's some stuff to look at that I actually think points to this is building in line with the Snyderverse as I think a lot of fans want it to be. Mm, Interesting. Okay. So I'm going to drop two pieces from the movie that if you haven't seen it, pay close attention to, and I'd love to know your thoughts on it. So the first thing is the credits of the film. As the credits start scrolling, it actually says fourth world created by Jack Kirby. Now, Jack Mm. Kirby, his greatest contribution to DC Comics is the character of Darkseid. Jack Kirby built the fourth world, the whole new God storyline that has Darkseid introduced and fighting the Justice League. Okay. There is no Darkseid in the film. The only bit of Jack Kirby content in the film is So the film takes place in the fictional land of Kandak, which is the land where Black Adam comes from. It's a fictional Middle Eastern country. It It sounds like Wakanda. Yeah, it's it's essentially the same concept, right? They are ruled currently by an international mafia slash military mercenary group known as Intergang. Now, what's important about DC Comics is Intergang is actually a group of mercenaries who are supplied future weapons by the alien overlord Darkseid. Mm. So 
These are dark side minions on Earth, which, again, in line with the potential dark side Justice League showdown that the Snyderverse led us to to believe is coming. Now, the other major thing is in the film, Dr. Fate, who is, if you don't really know your DC comics, he is DC's version of Dr. Strange, the mystic who can see into the future. And he lead a very valuable line of dialogue in the film where he says... To Hawkman, he says, the world needs the Justice League and the Justice League need Hawkman. Now, we're reading into it a little bit much, but as a fan, I can't help but believe that the reason why we need Justice League is because Darkseid's coming. All right. I mean, that would be really cool. A true extension of the actual Snyderverse. Absolutely. And the fact that we know The Rock himself has been such a vocal supporter of Zack Snyder, I can't help but think that he is doing everything he can to build a cohesive DC universe. Which, if you look at the moves DC is making, they're canning projects that they just don't think really are going to strengthen the brand. I mean, I'd love to know your thoughts. You got to see the movie and tell me what you think. Well, I plan on seeing the movie. So obviously, I don't know how long I could have gone escaping the spoilers, especially Henry Cavill as Superman in the film. I know that's going to show up. I think most fans give, you know, you know, we're recording this at the beginning of a new week. They usually give a few days of like kind of being responsible. Respectful, yeah. so it doesn't just randomly pop up in your feed after that all bets are off like if you're scrolling through reels shorts or tiktok or something it's gonna pop up i fully expect to see it i do want to check out the movie i am obviously interested in what wb or discovery wb is going to do because they have overhauled a ton of shit since discovery came in oh yeah no it's insane i mean restructuring creating essentially an entire cinematic department to oversee the dc cinematic vision cutting projects green lighting new projects i mean there's been so much if you're a dc fan it kind of makes your head spin just all the changes that have happened in the last two years projects announced canceled re-greenlit movies finished that they pulled the plug on and decided not to release it's really crazy and yeah it actually is crazy because you think even movies that are completed that they're just deciding not to release like what what would possibly prevent you from just being like you know what put it on streaming platform and just call it i don't know so i'm interested to see where what they do and, and how this all ties together i am with you i hope that there is some overall cohesive vision behind this there is a plan and that this all actually does tie together in a unique way at some point that would be very rewarding for a lot of people who have stuck with dc despite a lot of the criticism interesting so i'm looking forward to seeing black adam now i think your take on it is definitely something that fits that narrative of critics not aligning with fans you know sometimes critics are looking at it like oh we've seen this before oh it's formulaic it's this and that but if you're a comic book fan you show up you're like this was great i had a lot of fun watching this movie once you see it you gotta let me know but for our listeners if you've seen black adam what do you think of it do you agree with the critics do you think that it just is another misstep by dc or do you agree with me and some of the other fans that i've talked to that that really see this as the direction they should be going leaning into their strengths and making content that resonates with the fans Well, that takes us to our next discussion topic, and we actually uh, alluded to this on last week's episode, but Rings of Power Season 1 has officially concluded, and we did uh, an episode before the show started at the midpoint, and now we're going to do one after everyone's had time to watch the whole season uh, about all of Season 1. So let's start off by just, did you actually like the show? Because there's a large contingent of Tolkien fans and, in general, Lord of the Rings fans that 
did not enjoy the show in a general sense. What did you think? Um, first off, just reminding our audience, we are going to be spoiling Rings of Powers oh, yeah, as well. Thanks. So, you know, <laughs> um, as though, you know, no one knows what's actually going to happen down the line with, you know, Rings of Power corrupting people. But hey, um, we will be, you know, talking about big reveals. So um, as a fan, I overall, I enjoyed the series. I mean, I've made it, you know, my opinion has been known throughout the course of this as we've recorded our podcast. It was very slow to find footing for me, but for the most part, it ended at a point that I was, I mean, I'm going to watch season two. I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's obviously not what I was hoping it would be when I heard we're spending a billion dollars making a Lord of the Rings show. I think it managed to hobble together enough story and, and we've become invested in the characters enough that I was happy with it. I'm not like one of the fans who's like never going to watch again. I actually really enjoyed it. As far as like, you know, a fantasy epic goes, I thought it does a lot of things really well like obviously i get it you know there's critics there's literally videos on youtube where people like watch the episode with like a little box of themselves like in the corner or the opposite like just like i look now on the screen and then in the little corner is like freeze frames from different segments of each episode and they just are like literally just like criticizing everything about the show so i i do understand it, it's not a perfect show there are some illogical decisions there's you know not all the dialogue was Shakespearean you know <laughs> it wasn't perfect all the way through but in terms of now having the first season completed did I enjoy the ride I did yeah I like where it got to but I do have a couple things that I will talk about and I'm not gonna nitpick here these are more like big overarching things that were interesting to me and that is the decision to leave the reveals to the finale why I find that interesting is because because essentially you you have the main question powering all the fan discussions offline for people who are actually enjoying the show, which is who is Sauron? Is he a character that we've met within the show so far? Is he someone that's out there and he's we haven't seen him yet? And the consensus generally was that we would meet him in the season one finale. And the consensus was that he is most likely one of the characters we have met in the show. So the four options being... The Stranger or Meteor Man, Halbran, uh, there's those white uh, cloaked figures, and who was the other one? There's one more. It's eluding me. Oh, whatever. I'll think of it. But anyway, yeah, everybody was like, okay, so, or, oh, Adar. Everybody was like, is Adar Sauron? And we ended up getting the answer to our question. So who is Sauron? Spoiler alert. Yeah, we're going to ruin it right now. It is Halbran. He no! is... Yeah, he is Sauron. And I don't know, one of the things that, that bugs me a little bit about this whole thing, and, and essentially we can uh, clarify who all of those people are. The the white cloaked figures are Sauron worshippers with some sort of uh, associated power. It appears uh, that the meteor man, the stranger, is clearly, he is 100% Istari. He is a wizard. He says the word wizard. And it's very heavily implied that he is indeed Gandalf, uh, which I believe to be true. Uh, mm -hmm. There is a quote at the end of the last episode where he says... If, if in doubt, follow your nose. Which he and, says in The Fellowship of the Rings. Yeah, so he that's, I want to say that's literally the tip of the cap. Like, it is Gandalf. And then Adar is one of the first elves that was turned into an orc. That's kind of his backstory. He's, you know, essentially a fallen elf. 
So mm-hmm. that was, I mean, he may even actually be against Sauron. I'm not even 100% sure. It sounded like he kind of was. I don't know if they're fully aligned there. I have a feeling they're going to like, I mean, Sauron's pretty powerful. So if you don't fall in line, you're dead. Yeah. But, but I know what you're referring to that the episode where the Southlanders go to pledge their allegiance to Sauron and he looks at him like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. So my big gripe then is because they withhold these reveals to the finale, it feels like there's an, a certain emptiness to the arcs of some of the characters because we're holding off for the surprise reveal. Uh, the number one person I think this affects is uh, the stranger or the meteor man. Honestly, it feels like he is not revealed to be a starry or a wizard earlier on in the show, simply to keep all the characters on the board who could potentially be Sauron. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, honestly, other than like the second episode, Nori kind of is one of the Harfoots is interacting with him, but she trusts him kind of, uh, instinctively she trusts him and he clearly doesn't know how to manage his powers and he's learning how to speak and all this stuff right over the course of an entire season but by the end if you actually look at like his arc i mean he's basically like he could have figured all this out really freaking quick and you know at the end of the season he's basically in the exact same spot still with the harfoots hasn't gone anywhere and he's finally leaving i feel like that's a little bit of like wasted time do you agree oh absolutely because he i mean where he gets in the finale is where he should have been in like the second or third episode like now he's going off on his quest as an individual he's finally learned how to speak he's learned a little bit about his powers he's exploring middle earth i think that they could have set him on that path sooner had his through through his interactions with the rest of middle earth we could have questioned what his his true purpose is they could have kept playing that could this be sauron game it's just, it's just it felt like they didn't do anything with him well and the other disconnect so that's one of is i feel like some of the care i'm not gonna get into every single character but that's an example of what i'm talking about but the idea of withholding who sauron is the other thing that i thought was a little bit odd is obviously the writers are are playing with the question who is sauron with the audience right the actual characters in show do not seem to suspect that anybody except maybe the meteor man could potentially be sauron and that's only by cloaked white figures And it's a total misdirect, which, again, feels a little bit cheap to me. In essence, right, nobody nobody in story suspects that Halbrand could be Sauron. The Harfoots do not suspect that Meteor Man could be Sauron. Even the white hooded figures, I mean, we basically only know about them because they appeared in the trailer. Like, for the most part, they show up at the end of the season and barely do anything. It's literally like they're there for simply, in my opinion, they're there for a misdirect to just make us think that he could be Sauron. And then Adar basically says he's not you know i mean again yeah he yeah. could be lying sarm's deceitful but generally speaking i mean i i think everybody was like it's it's not him yeah. so it was weird because i think the show might be stronger if you actually had the characters in the story trying to figure out who sauron is you had mentioned this in our pre-production meeting that the way it's positioned is for the characters Sauron is just out there somewhere following clues and like trying to uncover who it could be. So it doesn't feel like the story itself, who is Sauron, has a lot of agency in the actual story. Well, considering that it's just us, it's us as the audience that has agency around it, but the characters don't seem to. And I think that's a disconnect. I think it's a slight disconnect for the overall season arc. Well, considering that the story, you know, the series starts out with Gladriel hunting 
Sauron, looking for proof, right? Believing mm-hmm. that he is still out there and his followers are still out there and trying to hunt, hunt down the remnants of, of his forces. I guess I think that I think if it was to be redone, I think it would have been more interesting had they truly leaned into Sauron is still here. He could be anyone, you know, almost position it like screen. Yes. Right. Yeah. Who's the killer? If all the characters were suspicious of all the people around them, then we could have not just within world, lots of conflict created because who do you trust? Who do you not trust? Right. And on top of it, as an audience, you could have a lot more fun with us is each episode. We're like, nope, this person has to be sat. No, now this guy has to be sat. We could totally play that who is Sauron game. I thought they were setting us up to that never really yeah. manifested. Itself. I mean, because when you think about it, you know, the regent who assists the queen, um, you know, his nephew or whoever within Numenor, like there's all these other characters who are kind of populated and are skeptical and seem to be at odds with Gladriel. You could have really sort of positioned them to be, is this Sauron? Is this Sauron? And this is his way of infiltrating, you know, the actions yeah. of, and influencing the the direction of the world. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think, a, you know, a great example of a narrative is able to do that successfully is and sean will love this uh this mention but if you go back to the early seasons of 24 right away there's a mole in the agency that's a good good example and now now the characters they don't know who they can trust they don't know who's listening they don't know so it just creates all of this tension you know jack bauer obviously we know uh, you know he's our our hero so we know we can at least trust jack but from there almost no well in in right the same thing could have played out in this as lord of the rings fans we know who elrond is We know who Gladriel is. We know that we can trust them as noble elves who have fought to defeat Sauron in, in, you know, the second age and who fight to defeat Sauron in the third age. Right. We know that we can count on them. We Um, know they're not. Yeah. But let's make everyone else be a potential, you know, be the potential mole. So I don't know. I think that would have been interesting. And you could have had a little bit more fun, a little bit more agency with that story, with that question in story. Like I said, I, I think because it's a prequel and because they don't own the rights to technically all the characters, I think they only got like the Lord of the Rings and the appendices. They didn't actually get the rights to like the Similarian or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I think obviously they're toying with the idea that yes, some of these characters are allusions to characters from the Similarian, but like essentially we get to create characters and you don't know who they are within this world right Mm -hmm. and they're they're unique to this show and this this telling of Tolkien lore and they're playing with that idea just yeah it didn't feel like it had enough agency within the story itself just Sauron is just out there somewhere you know and I think there should have been early on an announcement that maybe Sauron is back and we don't know who he is but he's here exactly you know exactly that would have been maybe a little bit more exciting exciting created a little bit more tension you know fair enough to that end i did also want to say though that like you know i'm also not a person who uh demands that when works of art are being adapted to another medium you have to follow the books to the t for me personally i know a good example is just the lord of the rings like peter jackson peter jackson adapted the lord of the rings but it is adapted for movies for film the story itself is you know converted into something that is more digestible in a 2 hour window works really well 
for the medium of film. But did a lot of things get cut from Lord of the Rings? Sure, you got Tom Bombadil is gone. Uh, the actual story structure, you know, Lord of the Rings is structured by kind of books within books. They they start cutting between scenes and telling the story. Uh, you know, it's still linear, but they're jumping around. I don't know. It's interesting because there are a lot of Tolkien fans, especially on YouTube and everywhere, where like if if they don't follow the Tolkien lore like literally to the letter, they're pissed off, and that's not me. I'm just saying, like, what are your thoughts? Well, it's actually, it's so it's funny. Um, when I was at Comic-Con, I was talking to an author, uh, comic book series, The Untamed. The author is Sebastian Jones. It's actually a really great comic book series if you get the chance to, to check it out. Shout and out. he was saying how he was working with a television studio to develop the comic book series into a television series. And at first he was saying how, you know, I'm all about keeping the integrity of my work. Like I put in all the time into making this. He said, and then I realized that when you convert comic book into a screenplay, you know, this full volume, you know, issue one turns into like five pages of a screenplay and suddenly you say, shoot, this is a problem, right? <laughs> Yes. This, this isn't enough. You know, when we trans when we transfer from one medium to another, things can't just be transposed perfectly. So he said, so suddenly my opinion changed on the fact that works change when the medium that they're presented in changes. And I think that's a really good way to think about it because yeah. you know, um, if we did a Lord of the Rings series that was exactly like the Lord of the Ring novels, it would probably be a, you know, one book would be like five seasons of a television series and it would be parts of it would be really, really slow. Yeah. And isn't there a beauty in when you have different mediums, even though you have an original author and when, when we do have adaptations, we want to definitely try to include the integrity of the story and the heart of the story, right? We don't want to alter arcs too far, but at the same time, isn't there something beautiful about the fact that you can enjoy the Lord of the Rings, the movies, and then you can go enjoy the books and it's like a different experience. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, for one, if the movies were perfect adaptations of the books, no one would ever have to read the books. And, exactly. Um, I don't want that. Yeah. And uh, another good example of that is our modern, you know, modern era Harry Potter. Hey, oh, CP. <laughs> feel like you feel go, like go, feel like you planned on that. Giving you hell, man. Go watch Harry Potter. And uh, <laughs> you know, th that's a great example though. Like they don't fit everything from the books into uh, the movies, and you can't. And let's say you know the movies i know a lot of people who have seen harry potter the movies and never read the books so it brought in fans but if you read the books there's so much more there and so much more world building and all this stuff than you can ever fit into the movies and it makes the books special so you know even looking at something like marvel is a good example uh i think we'll go ahead and just call out the story arc uh civil war oh, i right? love civil war the comic but book series nothing... is amazing but the MCU version is nothing like mm -hmm. Civil War in the comics. It's, it's yeah. an adapted arc that fits the narrative of where the MCU is at in, or in at that time. Yeah. But it's by no means like, are they pulling specific, you know, panels out? They're not yeah. even really using, you know, direct uh, quote bubbles or anything like, you know, they just, they're taking the concept of, of having a Marvel Civil War and applying it you know, the, the Infinity War is kind of the same way, where it's like, no, it's not an adaptation of the exact comic arc. Now, Rings of Power, Lord of the Rings, and Harry Potter are much closer to their original works than, than 
the comic book variations. But I'm just saying though, that like, I, I think when you're doing adaptations, that's something to just always keep in mind is that we can get another Lord of the Rings trilogy down the road and it might not look anything like Peter Jackson. That's yeah, kind of that's the fun of adaptations. <clears throat> I don't know. I'm not, I'm not here to like criticize rings of power in any way that, you know, is disputing most of Tolkien lore. I think they did a pretty good job. It reminded me of middle earth. Uh, I, and I have mentioned, I've read the Hobbit. I have read Lord of the Rings. I've never read the Similarian, although I do love reading about the history of, you know, Middle Earth and, and Tolkien mm-hmm. and all that online. Mm-hmm. I love the good debates and, and there's fun, dude, if you ever get a chance, there's some really good YouTube videos that'll just cover the history of Middle Earth. It's actually great. But yeah. no, I, I haven't personally read the Similarian. Yeah, so to that end, I, I think the show worked uh, pretty good. It kept me entertained. Uh, I enjoyed where it's going. I think the only question I have going forward, how do I put it? <laughs> Rings of Power, because it's it's adapting kind of, you know, his, history from Middle Earth, the second age of man, right? Whatever, the second age of Middle Earth. It, it has the potential to kind of play as kind of like a history channel reenactment of like World War II. Are we going to get like these really powerful narrative arcs are we going to dig in a little bit deeper on these characters because i could see watching like a you know a history channel reenactment of something like the revolutionary war and then you check the box right like oh there's george washington yeah do we get any insight into him beyond what we already know about his you know historical contributions to that time period or you know are we just watching them kind of check the boxes there's nothing wrong with that that can be fun in its own right i mean i guess what i'm saying is going forward are we looking at a show that's going to introduce characters with the complexity of you know walter white or even some of the game of thrones characters are we going to get into those complexities or is this more of like a you know a historical recap of of middle earth well and again i think that's always the risk that you run when you air a prequel series to an existing piece of content when we look at star wars i'll make the Star Wars reference this episode, right? Yeah. The failure in the prequel series is we already know what's going to happen. We know the Republic falls. We know Palpatine rises to power. And we know that Anakin Skywalker falls to the dark side. I mean, spoilers there too. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, like it's just, so as a, as a, as an audience member going in, it's, you know, it's really hard for a storyteller to, to make it compelling when the, Audience already knows how it's going to end, you know? Yeah, and then you also have <clears throat> the trouble with stakes, right? <clears throat> so Galadriel, Elrond, what's it called? Obviously Gandalf, Sauron. Uh, there's a bunch of characters. I don't need to go We know that they all survive until the third age of Middle-earth. <laughs> right, we know they're all going to make it. So you you need to derive tension within the show. If you're, if you're going to have, you know, characters with kind of deep arcs and or, you know, big arcs and all that, um... So I don't know. I'm just interested in how they want to do this going forward because, you know, I love watching World War II documentaries and, and you know, mm-hmm. History Channel reenactments. I used to watch, uh, what was it? It's called Making of the Mob. Shout out, Mike Soto. And they just <laughs> go over the history of like how the mob was formed. And you got these, uh, like this narrator and they're, they're just showing you how it happened. It was very entertaining. I mean, it doesn't dig too deep, right? But it was like a great show. You saw, you know, all the boxes get, you're like, oh, there's Bugsy. And like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, now they're talking about how Las Vegas got, you know, funded and all this stuff. It, it, it worked well. I don't think there's anything wrong with something like that. It's just, I, I, I'm interested because the way uh, Amazon Prime kind of pitched this was they were going to put a billion dollars behind it and 
whatever time they need to develop and do all this stuff. The impression that it gave me was that they did want those type of characters. Yeah, That's what they were going for. So we didn't necessarily get a lot of that in terms of overall arcs. There are reveals at the end, but in terms of characters, uh, you know, really transforming by the end of season one, it's not a whole lot, if you ask me. No, I agree. And I almost wonder if part of the problem is that season one is set up us kind of waiting on two two or three major pieces of story to be revealed and one of them is the who is who is sauron yeah there's also the what is the you know what is the fate of the southlands which again we know what that is down the line um you know what's what's the fate of (laughs) of numenor which again we know what that is down the line and so the only other really thing is, you know, is Gladriel able to reconcile the elves relationship with, with, with the men? And is she able to reunite herself and, and re, you know, with, with the elves? The whole story is set up on kind of a couple major premises that we already kind of know what happens. And I feel like, again, I think we talked about this last time we talked about the episode. Maybe if the approach to the show had been different, I think it might have worked better. Again, I like what Peter Jackson does. Granted, he doesn't, you know, I know, as we said, people were frustrated when Peter Jackson took the realm. But the decision he made with the Lord of the Rings film is let's start small and go bigger. And we'll introduce characters as we go bigger and bigger and bigger through this massive, magical, mystical world of Middle Earth. And a really I think, good point. And I still think that, you know, there's all these major political and, and you know, storylines going on. And then we keep cutting back to this Harfoot storyline that seems so insignificant. And I almost think that had we started out with meteor, uh, you know, the meteor man falling from the sky, not knowing who the stranger is, him connecting with the Harfoot. And by the end of the first episode, leaving the Harfoot to go into Middle Earth, right? Yeah. Mm, interesting. And, and as we follow this character that we don't know if he's good or bad, we start to find all these other pieces in play involving the politics of Numenor, the, the fate of, the, of the, the, the tribes of men in the West, you know, Gladriel trying to convince everybody that Sauron is still out there and still a threat. I think that if we had had encountered those more naturally interesting than all these storylines being laid out in the beginning and just sort of waiting for them to connect. I feel like it maybe would have been a more compelling journey for us as an audience. That's a good point. And obviously, like I said earlier, I think it would also push the meteor man into having more agency in his own story. I feel like most of the time he's just like accidentally killing fireflies, you know, because he didn't know what he was doing, you know? And well, and I mean, the other thing that I thought was a shame was one of my favorite storylines was uh, the Elrond um, Durin, Durin. storyline. And it it kind of happens, I think, on the second episode and it sort of lacks, wraps up, I think, in the second to last. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And again, I'm like, this is a really compelling, you know, this is one of the few stories that we don't know a lot about from from you know, our, our future knowledge of, of Lord of the Rings and looking back at this time period. But on top of it, we're getting dwarves, we're getting elves, we're getting all this cool Middle Earth, you know, culture and, and the fun parts of reading Tolkien and, and, and looking at this world. And um, I didn't like the fact that it's clearly like a C-tier storyline for the, for the writers. Okay. 
I mean, yeah, the, the show, uh, like, I think everybody definitely agrees that, uh, like, the opening sequence with sound kind of forming, you know, rings of power was pretty cool. Uh, the budget clearly shows most of it looks beautiful, uh, really good. It's visually, you know, it's eye candy. It's easy to watch. Um, I don't know. I, I heard a lot of complaints about, like, the acting and certain elements. I didn't really have any major complaints. And no one, no one ever really ruined it for me, you know? No, um, I didn't really have any issues. Um, I mean, I'd like, we... uh, you know me, I, I would like to see somebody create uh, some more recognizable theme music. Yeah, you're not like, a Bear McCreary fan, not at all. No, I like I like themes. I like I should, you know, this is Rings of Power. This is Lord of the Rings. I should come away humming something. Yeah. You know, tell me, tell me you didn't leave Fellowship of the Ring and you're like, no i mean you're absolutely right like there's so many iconic pieces of music in in the original trilogy yeah Um, so i don't know that that was something that i was hoping maybe we could get a little a few more recognizable themes would have been great the other complaint i have and granted um this is probably the curse of peter jackson doing lord of the rings um and i know this was one of the the initial complaints right is Tolkien purists at the time criticized him for putting too much uh, action (laughs) into the story and not enough of the other elements of it. You know, um, he spends half of the two towers at the Battle of Helm's Deep, which is like two and a half pages in the actual text. But I think that part of the translation from from, you know, pages to, to screen is you need to embrace those type of things. And I think that after experiencing Peter Jackson's version of the Lord of the Rings. I think as fans, we would have liked to see a little bit more of kind of the, the epic nature of that, which we kind of only really get in sort of the one episode between when Numenor arrives to fight Andor and the orcs. And I would have liked a little bit more of that. What about uh, the actual rings of power? So they finally make an appearance uh, at the end of the finale. So essentially uh halbrand is a i don't know what you call it something smith i don't know yeah smith whatever and... yeah he's uh so he can he can uh create rings and he knows how to like put all these different elements together now this does follow this tracks i think his name is uh anato anatar in the similarian uh the giver of gifts and they do they do a tip of the cap to that when he like basically tells the elves like hey why don't you try this and he's like oh that's amazing like why why are you telling us this and he's like consider it a gift but yeah. essentially yeah. you know it is called the rings of power and there is no mention of really any rings until the finale and that's when we get the first concept that there are these uh, rings of power and i think ironically they call them crowns they're looking for something that's circular in shape and they don't know they're going to be rings yet but yeah, they say they're going to make one crown for the high elf. Yeah, something like that. And then they end up saying like, which is kind of cool. They're like, you know, one person can be just corrupted by power. Two divides. Three will keep everybody kind of in check. You yeah. know, very Triforce from Zelda. But <laughs> uh, I don't know. What do you think? Because, you know, going back into like Tolkien lore and knowing that like essentially and this happens, you know, Galadriel does make mention that the elven rings should be 
you know, crafted without the influence of Halbrand slash Sauron because she knows that he could potentially have incredibly devious motives, which he does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, but we only get three rings of power. So obviously, if you know Lord of the Rings lore, there is the one ring, three rings given to the elves, seven to the dwarves, and nine to men. So we know that men become corrupted and become the Nazgul. The dwarves, it enhances certain qualities like their greed. And the elven rings, while not influenced by the one ring, uh, do have some special abilities and they even make an appearance in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So I don't know. What did you think? Like, you know, it all kind of builds to the, the first rings coming. Did you think they did it well? I mean, does it still seem like it's all building towards Sauron going to Mount Doom and, and forging the one ring? I mean, it, it definitely does. Um, I think my question is, I don't know why. I understand it's called the rings of power, but I don't know that we needed the rings of power forged in season one. I think we could have waited on it. I think this is a story about how the rings of power came to be. You know, this is essentially the ultimate weapon of mass destruction. Okay. Um, we don't need to see it created now. What we need is to lay the foundation for why they're built. And um, I feel like in some way, like the whole elf thing with the tree and, and the elves power, you know, declining I feel like that was all really just kind of shoved in there. And I feel like we could have drawn that out a little bit more and, and really okay. pushed to the fact that the elves need this or they cannot stay. Right. Okay. So, so making them more desperate, having to uh, really make the decision to make the rings, uh, maybe one of selfish necessity and yeah. not like, Oh, cool. This is I didn't know we could do this. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I feel like I guess I think that there could have been an interesting storyline watching the, you know, the decline of Elvish power concurrent with the rise of Sauron in the West. Right. Yeah, like okay. both of these things, you know, we see the creation of Mordor. Well, if the elves aren't strong enough, then that's a real problem. Right. And I feel like since we didn't really spend enough time with the, why do we need these? And, you know, I mean, cause we didn't need like, as long as the rings are forged at some point during, you know, the next, mm -hmm. during the five seasons of the series, like you can call it the rings of power. That's fine. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. As long as they, they make an appearance and obviously, you know, not all the rings were forged. I'm, the main one being the, you know, one ring to rule them all. Sour, Sour, mm -hmm. Sauron's ring of power. So we still have that to come. And I know that might not even happen in season two. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how all of that does indeed play out. But again, some of those elements do feel a little bit more like the, you know, kind of history channel reenactment, you know, checking the box on some of those things. Yeah. How, how, like you said, how is it going to be incredibly compelling, you know, or, you know, do you just want to check boxes? That's cool too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I will say as far as season one goes, they did do a good job of introducing us to the world, you know, the second age. And all of, you know, the chess pieces are kind of on the board. Uh, we know Gandalf and the Astari are here. The wizards are here. Yep. Uh, we kind of know the, the Harfoots. I don't know exactly how all that lineage will play out. But, you know, we have kind of the pre-Hobbits 
we have Galadriel and Elrond and Elendil and Sildor, who will all be at the final battle. Actually, I'm assuming Galadriel will be there, although in the Lord of the Rings adaptation, I don't know if she was there physically, but I assume in this show she'll probably. Oh, she's a badass in this show. She'll definitely be there. Yeah, I assume she'll make an appearance. And then obviously Sauron is here. Uh, We were introduced to a few places that we know are going to be destroyed, including one elven city, Numenor, and Khazadu, mm-hmm. uh, as well as the Balrog uh, was yeah. alluded to. Okay, that really okay. So that is that is one of my gripes with the show. We sh- see the Balrog, yeah. like the leaf falls down. We're like, this is about to be awesome, and then they're just like, oh, we were just messing with you. Like we're not actually gonna go back to that. And I wanted to see more. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, hopefully that'll uh, hook you in for season two. <laughs> but, you know, all these all these things, right? The Southlands, you know, in the first episode, we don't know quite yet, although the mountain does loom large in one of the shots that this is going to become Mordor. It is now Mordor. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that happen within season one that definitely uh, put the places, you know, or put the pieces in the right places. So... Hopefully, uh, I'm interested to see what producers, what the writers say about their intentions for seasons two through five and two mm-hmm. in particular. Um, I just wish, however, they decide to do it, you know, if they're going to present this as, hey, well, you know, we're going to create a show that just kind of is going to follow the history of the second age of Middle Earth. Like, that's fine. That's cool. Uh, but if their intention is to, you know, go deeper and, and explore some of these characters and their motives and their shortcomings, because obviously, just like a lot of prequels, we end in, uh, you know, a really kind of dark place. Mm-hmm. What what do they do? So, so question for you. Sure. Is there the possibility that Sauron has been more than one character throughout this story so far? I would say absolutely that is possible. So uh, clearly, uh, you know, Halbrand was the reveal, and I know that they're sticking with that because at a, I think one of the last shots of the final episode was him walking into Mordor, still looking like Halbrand. Well, and and we know that he has to be because the you know the king of of the you know we know the lineage that Isidore is, right. Yeah, and we know eventually, like, I think him and his father, Elendil, set up two cities, one of them being Gondor, um, that will obviously play a huge role in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I very much got the impression that he can change his appearance mm-hmm. and that he could have been any number of people at any specific time. Meaning, interestingly enough, that Galadriel probably won't even know it's him if she meets him again. Good point. So Good point. I think that's very possible. Now, from an, a storytelling, like a narrative standpoint, I mean, it does make sense to, you know, kind of not constantly be having to ask the question, who is Sauron? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they kind of went through that. We already did it. So I don't know what benefit that brings. But it is interesting, you know, as his character, because as Halbrand, he clearly doesn't look like Sauron from the prologue of Lord of the Rings or even the prologue of Rings of Power. Yeah, right. You know, so like he doesn't look like that. So, you know, 
obviously he can change his appearance. I thought another interesting thing was, I want you to read on this, right? Uh, in the finale, Elrond finds Gladriel in the water, right? Yeah. And so to test him, she asks him about the first time they met. Mm -hmm. But I was like, that's not really effective. If Sauron has the ability to read her mind to the point that he could place himself within her memories, memories. Of her brother, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that if that's actually Sauron, he could just be messing with you still. Yeah. Like the you power that he had taking her through these different memories of hers and she goes from one place to the other. I'm like, how do you know that he's still not? Yeah, right. You're still in limbo. Yeah, right. You, you don't know where you are. But yeah, I don't know if you could fully trust that. Interestingly enough, I wonder to what extent Sauron's powers could make somebody question reality. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's quite a power. Because again, he's all powerful, yet we haven't really seen the extent. I mean, honestly, even within the original trilogy, his power is alluded to, and we know the power that he possesses, that they tell us he possesses once he's at full form, but Sauron's powers are very much a mystery to us as an audience. Well, that, and I think this was one of the, uh, you know, bigger plot holes in the show, but in the finale, right, Sauron kind of goes into Galadriel's memories, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the big question is like, why didn't he just kill her? True. He leaves her like she's in water, but if he has all this power, I mean, why is he like running away? Like, and maybe, maybe this is what you're getting at. Maybe we're actually posed to see a very um, character-driven look at Sauron, who essentially embodies evil in its purest form, yet we've talked about this before. It is interesting that when they meet on the raft the first time, he tells her, looks can be deceiving. You know, he reminds her multiple times through the story when she says, you made me do this and this and this. And he said, I never made you do anything. Yeah. He's a very interesting, like in many ways, the seeds of a very interesting character are being planted, which is if he is straightforward in some of these, these um, moments, while at the same time, he is this master deceiver who is playing everyone behind the scenes. Like we could be in for a very interesting ride following this character of Sauron. I'm interested to see it. Like I said, almost all the characters are on the board. You know, there's probably a few that are missing, but generally speaking, you know, a lot of people are here. They're in play. Hopefully we know Amazon is behind this. So we're getting seasons two through five. I'm hoping they can deliver on some of, some of the premises here. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, I it agree. was a good start. It was a good start. I think it got people excited for Lord of the Rings. Was it a perfect show? It was not. You know, we can sit here and I don't want to just like rewatch every episode and question every motive throughout. But, you know, like I said, there's there's definitely some things that it was like, OK, could have been an easy fix or like, can you just like remove this? But I enjoyed it. I'll give Rings of Power, you know, I'm going to give it probably in this case, like a solid seven out of 10. I enjoyed it. It's not approaching really like best shows. It was solid. I, I enjoyed watching it. So I've actually seen most of the episodes now a couple times. So if that speaks to how much I enjoyed it. All right. Good job. No, I'd agree. I think I'd probably give it about a seven out of 10 too. Much to be desired, but at the same time, this is season one. They do get a, a bit of a pass in the sense that they're building the world and they did an amazing job. It's a beautiful, massive interpretation of Lord of the Rings and, and Middle Earth. And I'm excited to, now that the pieces are set, we know who's a good guy for the most part and a bad guy for the most part. I'm hoping that we can really get into some more interesting dynamics and characterization. Yeah, and I do want to give a shout out to all you Tolkien loyalists. Um, you know, while I am uh, maybe being a little light here on criticism for Rings of Power, I do fully understand your plight. To that end, I do want to just bring up that I understand, right? Disney bought Star Wars for $4 billion. They wanted to be able to slap Star Wars on some movies and, you know, sell merchandise and do all the stuff. But you know, when I went to go see the Star Wars, the new sequel trilogy, you know, I'm like, no offense, but 
you're putting Star Wars on it. And my favorite movie of all time is Star Wars, A New Hope. So, you know, I am, the bar is high. It's best movie of all time. <laughs> so I'm not saying like, hey, you, you have to like pass that bar and make something better than my favorite movie. I'm just saying that, you know, uh, you wanted the right to be able to put, in this case, Lord of the Rings. Amazon could have easily created their own new unique world, their own fantasy epic that is wholly unique to Amazon Prime. But they wanted Lord of the Rings. And I get it, Tolkien fans. Uh, if you want to slap Lord of the Rings on there and you want me to be a fan of it, uh, the bar is high. It's like the best fantasy epic ever written. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not here to uh, knock or excuse some of the stuff. I just trying to, uh, you know, express that I really did enjoy the show. I'm looking forward to the future of the show. And uh, while not perfect, it was something that I did actually, I really enjoyed watching it. So that's why it gets a seven. Fair enough. I think you're right, though, um, just to comment on the point you just made, right? Like, in the same way Disney complains about Star Wars fans complaining about their content, you know, Amazon, you spent a billion dollars to buy existing IP. You know, the, the gift is you have the rights to make this amazing thing that, you know, people love and, you know, people are going to spend money to see and and, you know, and, and be a part of. But with that comes the curse of they love it. They know their their fandom. They know this medium. They know the history of this world. And, you know, they're going to set a high bar and they should. And if you can't deal with it, then, you know, go make your knockoff of Lord of the Rings and, and be happy with it. You know, this isn't yeah. you're not buying some obscure indie comic book like you're buying Lord of the Rings. And what you get with it is a diehard loyal fan base. So you better show up, you know, and put up or you're going to get exactly what you got. And I hope that Amazon looks at the criticisms that they had and going into season two, do their best to rectify where they can. And I think they will. I think it'll be good. I mean, obviously, like we said, production quality is there. Uh, the bar can be raised, which is great. So there's room there's room for improvement. And they got a lot of time and a lot of talented people behind the scenes. So I do, you know, want to give, uh, you know, two thumbs up for Rings, Rings of Power from D-Man. I actually really enjoyed the show and uh, am looking forward to more. So keep it coming. And let us know what you thought. Do you hate the series now that it's wrapped up? Are you excited for season two? Let us know. All right. Well, that does it for our show this week. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show and be sure to uh, drop us comments or leave us a five-star review. You know, thank you in advance and uh, help us rank a little bit higher in the algorithm, you know, boost up that engagement. But more than that, we love hearing from you guys. We love all your feedback and, uh, you know, it's fun to go through our shout outs and, and uh, engage with you guys. So you can uh, follow everything about the show at filmmakerscompass.com. And you can also follow me at Big Kid D-Man. You can follow me at NDCal5. You guys make sure you have an awesome, safe Halloween. Make some good choices out there. Keep watching movies. We'll be back.